I left that going far too long, but that's a song where, well, uh, you can't turn it off. How can you interrupt that drum solo? Uh, all right, this is episode three of an Australian history of Ethiopia. That was an Australian song, actually. Uh, now, we're up to episode three, and I haven't quite sort of disclosed where I'm coming from, or from what angle I'm approaching Ethiopian history yet oh well I've said it's an Australian history of Ethiopia uh, which is a clue that's a little bit like saying this is a Martian history of Ethiopia you know a Martian perspective on the history of Ethiopia uh, or a, uh, a, a perspective from Jupiter uh, if you like uh, but it's an important thing uh, because let's say I was a Tigrayan, for example, uh, which is one of the areas, tribes of Ethiopia, and I was speaking about Ethiopian history. Well, that would be one angle of, well, you know, one history of Ethiopia that was is not necessarily the same as some other history of Ethiopia. Let's say uh, a history of Ethiopia from an Oromo perspective. Or maybe, you know, there was a guy called Richard Pankhurst uh, who uh, was the grandson of Sylvia Pankhurst. If any of you are feminists out there, uh, and I'm a feminist, and... Uh, Sylvia, Sylvia Pankhurst. Sylvia Pankhurst was Richard Pankhurst's mother. Uh, but Richard Pankhurst's grandmother was Emmeline Pankhurst, who was a famous, 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 famous suffragette. Uh, I believe she, well, I know that she was in the top 100 of Time magazine's people of the 20th century. Emmeline Pankhurst was a huge deal. Uh, she was a feminist in England and uh, a suffragette, you know, wanted the vote for the women. Um, and, oh, interestingly, uh, at the time that Emmeline Pankhurst was arguing for the vote for women and no doubt full political rights, uh, here in Australia, for all our faults, and we've got faults, uh, we uh, we were the first country in the world to have full political rights for women. Um, now, as I understand, now I think New Zealand was the first country to give the to give women the vote, uh, and Australia was the first country to give women full political rights, which is the vote plus the right to stand for an elected position. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are actually very close, uh, closely related. We were the same 
colony, well, New South Wales and New Zealand were the same colony for a long time. Uh, but look, all that aside, Emmeline Pankhurst was a very famous suffragette. Her daughter, Sylvia Pankhurst, emigrated uh, to Addis Ababa and went to live in Addis Ababa. And she was uh, close to Haile Selassie, the emperor of uh, Ethiopia at that time. He eventually became the last emperor of Ethiopia. That's a whole other story. Um, Sylvia Pankhurst, uh, she is buried in uh, Addis Ababa. Now, her son was Richard Pankhurst, named after his grandfather, Sylvia's father. Richard Pankhurst, the elder, was Emmeline's husband, and he was a feminist too, as I understand it. He was a barrister, um, very, very famous family, very accomplished. Now, Richard Pankhurst, the younger, uh, I imagine he was still English, I assume, but he became a historian, an Ethiopian historian. Uh, but he was coming from a certain perspective. I have no doubt that a part of that perspective was that he was an Englishman uh, and came at it from an Englishman's perspective. Uh, but I think it was fairly Ethiopian too. Uh, so there's a, you know, like, so there's another perspective on Ethiopian history. Uh, that of a slight outsider, but who is very much involved with Ethiopia. Um, now, um, oh, Richard Pankhurst, there is a chance that I was the last person to ever try and make contact with Richard Pankhurst before he died. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy day. Uh, it would have been whenever Richard Pankhurst died, which was about a year and a half ago. But just the previous, in the previous day, in the days leading up to his death, uh, he, uh, I tried to make contact with him. I, I got onto, I used to be on social media back then. Oh my goodness, it's, then it's has to be more than two years ago because I stopped using social media more than two years ago. All right, whenever it was, I tried to contact him on Messenger and I actually wrote a little note to him. Dear Richard, blah, 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 I'm from Australia uh, um, and I know a few Ethiopian people and so on and so forth. And then a couple of days later, I met one of my goddaughter's friends um, and well, I'll just say his name is Tex and uh, we had lunch and I told him that I had been trying to contact this Richard Pankhurst and I asked him I said do you know him and he said of course I know him you know uh, Tex had seen him around university campuses uh, at, uh, back in Ethiopia uh, and he said that, he said, oh, I've seen him around. And I said, is there any chance that you know somebody who could get me in contact with him? Because I like, this. I like the way he, um, I like his style. Uh, he'd be in his 90s by this stage, Richard Pankhurst. And Tex said, I'll try. Um, so, all right, I let that go. That was about lunchtime on a certain, 
on this certain day. That evening, Tex texted me, and I think he was falling off his chair, with the news that uh, that guy, Richard Pankhurst, had died. And he couldn't believe it because I had only mentioned him that day. You know, it's like someone going their whole life and then someone comes up to you and says, oh, look, I want you to make contact with um, someone, Richard Pankhurst. First time anyone in Australia has ever asked him that, and then, uh, then that same day, the guy dies. Uh, so you know, maybe I knocked him off. Um, maybe, maybe Richard Pankhurst did a little bit of research and figured that this long-winded guy from Australia might start talking to him and committed hari kari. For all I know, I would if I was him. But. Uh, but the, the pertinent point of that is um, that um, there is no pertinent point about that. All right. What I was going to say is Richard is com- was coming at uh, Ethiopian history from a certain perspective. And he wrote some books. He's very famous. You should look him up. Um, he, he's got a daughter, I believe, who might be working in Addis Ababa to this day. I think she's a really good person as far as, you know, appearances go at least works for the UN and all that sort of thing all right now Richard Pankhurst uh, got a state funeral uh, straight after and uh, my goddaughter was going to Ethiopia that week by coincidence and I asked her to maybe pop in have a look for me but I, I think she ended up somewhere else never made it but that's okay now, there's other uh, perspectives that you could come at Ethiopian history from. Uh, you could come at it from someone who has no connection with Ethiopia at all. And that's where I'm coming at it from. Uh, one of the good things about coming at Ethiopian history as an outsider is... I suspect we might have we Martians or we people from Jupiter who have no connection to Ethiopia at all. The one thing we might have in our favour is that we might be less politically charged in our approach. Uh, we might have our own biases, you know. Um, and I'm sure we do have. We have our social constructions. I've learned a lot over the last few years about all sorts of philosophy and things like that. And apparently we are all socially constructed and, you know, there's no way to look at things in an unbiased way. But I try. Uh, I've got all sorts of devices which I won't get into at the moment. Uh, But, you know, to a certain extent, I am a Martian looking at Ethiopia with a slightly indifferent eye and to a certain extent that's a an interesting perspective or an interesting history of I could create an interesting history of Ethiopia uh, of, of that is of a style that someone who's got a political buy-in um, uh, to the country might not have um, so, you know, 
I don't like Tigrayans any more than I like Oromos, and I don't like Amharans any more than I like any of the others, you know. Um, they're all from somewhere else. Okay. So that's that. Uh, now, this perspective that I'm trying to bring to Ethiopian history uh, is, and, uh, you know, and uh, this hints at my approach to history in general. I am trying to be a Martian with respect to everything. All of history, all of politics. Now, for reasons previously stated, social construction and all that sort of stuff, that may be impossible for me. Uh, You know, I like to be able to think that um, I'm looking at even Australian history from with an indifferent eye. I'm probably not. But I really, really do have some devices that get me fairly close, closer than most, I'm sure. You know, sometimes I uh, take on other personalities, uh, aliases, if you like, and uh, I actually reconstruct myself into those aliases. Um, For this podcast, I am an alias as well, called Danny, and... You know, Danny isn't me, you know. Uh, Look, he's probably a little bit me, but it's through these devices that I work hard to try and be someone else so that I am not being as biased as I might be otherwise. You know, um, I won't tell you how far I go with these aliases, but fairly far. Uh, I don't know if you... Well, a lot of people do. David Bowie used to get into aliases uh, to escape his construction, if you like. Uh, he, his real name was David Jones, and I'm sure David Bowie was a slightly different person than David Jones. And then David Bowie, in turn, one time created a character called Ziggy Stardust. So this was an alias creating an alias. And Ziggy Stardust was... A completely different person to David Jones, I'm absolutely certain of it. When David Bowie died, his wife, who was Somalian, uh, who is Somalian, she's not dead, uh, she said, I, you know, the rest of the world is mourning David Bowie, but I miss David Jones. And I think I know what she meant by that. Um, so, you know, look, take it with a grain of salt if you like. But um, it would be a struggle for a lot of people, I'm sure, if, uh, to, write a history, uh, to write an indifferent history of Ethiopia. Um, anyone who cares about the country um, would find it hard to write an unbiased history of the country. Uh, I'm l- lucky on that level uh, because I don't care about Ethiopia. I really don't, which doesn't sound very nice, but but I want to sound not very nice. Um, I don't care, you know, when I'm trying to write a, when I'm un, under one of my aliases trying to write about Australian history, I make sure that alias doesn't care about Australia. I couldn't care less uh, under some of my aliases whether Australia goes to hell in a handbasket, you know, uh, you know, let China come down and take over Australia, couldn't care less, you know, I really get myself into that frame of mind, 
All right, so that is probably the positives or the advantages of the way I get into history. Um, and I do the same thing with politics, you know. Um, I don't consider myself left or right or anywhere in between, you know, or progressive or conservative or socialist, you know. Um, you know, you couldn't put all those sort of political uh, uh, ideologies on a map and then pinpoint where I sit in between them all because I, I am pretty sure that I'm really out of there. I'm not even on that page. Uh, now, you know, you can challenge that and say, yes, you are, but you just don't know it, you know. And you could also say that, you know, even I may be an atheist, for example, or, you know, I think I'm an atheist. I, I, I think God actually is so powerful that he can exist and not exist at the same time. So I'm an atheist and a believer at the same time, you know. But uh, that's too much to get into. Um, but the point is, you know, um, uh, I uh, basically am in a sort of Zen state, I think, without actually being the meditating sort. I'm not a meditator. I just cruise around speaking into telephones. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not... I'm not very spiritual. In fact, I'm amazingly not spiritual. Um, I'm amazingly not many things at all. Um, but I don't know whether this uh, little spiel that I've just made, um, I'm, I'm hands-free. I'm driving back from having uh, babysat my goddaughter's children. Um, no doubt my children will be up at, what is it, 1.22am, just getting back to Essendon, and my children will be up in a few hours, so, yeah. Um, now, um, uh, but look, uh, this is how I filled in the time in my, on my drive home, and look, it might be worth knowing that this is where I come from. Uh, it's, it's, the approach in summary is a little bit like the way uh, my goddaughter and I have been discussing things for these past few years, because we talk nearly every day, uh, mostly on text, but sometimes speaking as well. And we've been more and more developing a style of discussing things that we call our dialectic. Uh, just look it up. It's, it's not, we don't debate anything, you know. Um, we we have a dialectic, uh, uh, which uh, now um, that dialectic is related to a, a sort of character that I developed called the sporty monk, you know. And the sporty monk gets himself into a state of sporty zen, and he kind of detaches, you know. He's detached, but not in that Indian sort of you know, Om Shiva, Om meditating way, you know, getting in touch with your body, breathing deeply and all that sort of thing. I don't do any of that sort of stuff. It's more about just opting out of the fray, you know. And a part of that was just not being involved with social media or anything like that, um, you know. And uh, that'll do on that, you know. Uh, but... This, that's me introducing myself and where I'm coming from. So I'm not exactly Richard Pankhurst. 
Uh, I think Richard Pankhurst had, uh, uh, he really liked Ethiopia. He felt that he belonged there. I think he did belong there. I think he's an honorary Ethiopian. He got a state funeral for starters. And his mother was definitely an honorary uh, Ethiopian. Haley Selassie, I read somewhere, actually made her an official honorary Ethiopian, you know. I'm not that. I'm none of that. I'm an Australian. Um, and and that's where I'm coming from, you know. So I'm coming from a different perspective. Look, if you're an Ethiopian, you have massive advantages over me in terms of knowing what Ethiopian history is all about because I know next to nothing, you know. I've sat with Tex and he's explained all sorts of things in detail. It's absolutely fascinating, you know. But he knows things in the same way that I know things about Australia. Well, the nation-state Australia anyway. I have to talk about Aborigines another day in another podcast. But um, I know a lot about... No, I don't. I know a fair bit about um, the nation-state Australia. But there's other angles on Australia, you know. The nation-state of Australia is a social club more than anything. It's not really the shape that you see on the map. Now, for a long time, it excluded indigenous people um, because they had their own uh, cultures. They had their own, let's call them nations. They, they, they had their own nations. And we had a nation that happened to be on the same continent um, called that we called, you know, the Nation of Australia, which is a social club. The Aborigines had their own social clubs that they called all sorts of things. I live in an area that the, Wur- the Wurundjeri people uh, lived in, and um, they had their own nation. Look, at a guess, they didn't want to be in our club, at least at the start, and we didn't want to be in their club either. Uh, you know, it would have been crazy to uh, suggest way back then that indigenous people should have the vote, you know, because that would sound something like civil rights. Um, Whereas right at the start, uh, we had two different mobs, uh, these Westerners coming into this continent, and uh, we had indigenous people in their own nations in this continent. And um, it's a question not of civil rights, but of indigenous rights, you know. Um, and you'd have to know your civics to know the difference. Uh, eventually, the now I know I've digressed. Oh, well, so what? Yeah, it's late. It's one twenty-seven a.m. You know, I can talk. I can yak if I want. Um, uh, now this gets. I suppose I could link this back to Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia is a nation-state, Western-style nation-state, you know, it has a president and a parliament of some sort and all that sort of thing, has has a democracy uh, of sorts. Uh, I think the, I think the, the party 
that is in power has been getting 100% of the vote or 98% of the vote or 99% of the vote, but still democracy of some sort. Um, I think there's diversity within that party that creates the diversity, you know, because I know that um, there was a... uh, there was a president the there's a president now called Abby and there was a president before him whose name escapes me now uh, uh, now I think that previous president was one that the Tigrayan people were happy with um, and I think the current president is one that they're not so happy with you know I'm above all that fray so, you know, the, uh, if you want a podcast that talks about whether the current president is a oh, terrible idea for Ethiopia, then, you know, maybe a Tigrayan uh, podcast on the history of Ethiopia and politics of the Ethiopia would be the place to go if you want to have that. Um, if you want a podcast that says Abby is a wonderful president then maybe one uh, maybe a podcast from the Amharan side of things and the Oromo side of things even maybe uh so you know this is what I'm getting at with histories I never say I never use the word history in the singular except for the fact that I just did then um I always talk about histories so every country's got histories Um, Ethiopia has not got... There is no such thing as a history of Ethiopia. You know, there is not... You could not write a book called The History of Ethiopia because there's so many different histories, plural, of Ethiopia. Uh, So, you know, Richard Pankhurst could write a history of of, um, Ethiopia. I can write a, a, a history of Ethiopia... Uh, and they're two different histories. His one is a knowledgeable one, and mine is from a perspective of someone who knows nothing, almost. Um, but, you know, that's what I'm getting at. Oh, that link back to Ethiopia. Yes, Ethiopia is a nation-state. Um, at some stage, it, in the few, uh, a long time ago, it wasn't a nation-state. So how did it get from one state of affairs to the other state of affairs? I don't know when, I don't know when the constitution of Ethiopia came into play. Um, I think, you know, the previous episodes were focused on Tedros, the father of modern Ethiopia, and he uh, unified the different regions of an Ethiopia that was slightly smaller than the one we have now and uh, I don't know that that turns that creates a nation state I suppose it created a state of sorts Um, after him there was an emperor called Johannes there was one in between don't worry about that and after him after Johannes there was a guy called Menelik who expanded the borders of Ethiopia maybe lost Eritrea uh, in a deal with the Italians. Um, I hear that's controversial. Uh, I, now, you know, you could say, well, wasn't Menelik terrible um, if you're that way inclined? Or you could say, wasn't he great if you thought it was a great idea to get rid of Ethiopia? Uh, I think there was deals made with the Italians. You'd say, oh, isn't he a terrible person? He made deals with the Italians, but 
in the fog of war. Uh, <laughs> you know, you'd have to be back there, and I'd have to know a lot more about why he was making such deals um, before I could say that it was a bad idea or a good idea. Uh, maybe it was, you know, sometimes with these things, you know, you can look at them and say, oh, it was a terrible thing that Menelik got rid of Eritrea and actually expanded in the direction of Oromo lands or whatever he did. And, you know, in a vacuum, maybe it was a terrible thing. But then you could say to yourself, what were his alternatives? And if you'd have to know what his alternatives were. And once you looked at those, you might think, oh my goodness, okay. So he made a terrible decision but all the other decision options, the, all the other decisions he could have made were even more terrible. Yeah, that reminds me of Churchill, the way I think he said something like, democracy is the worst system in the world, you know, except for all the other systems. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those sort of jokes, you know. Maybe he said, capitalism is the worst system in the world except for all the other systems, you know. Um, anyway, so, look, yes, um, I guess the nation-state of Ethiopia starts to take some take on its modern shape by Menelik's time, and but I don't know whether it had a constitution at that time. I know he was an absolute ruler of some sort. Still, he was an emperor. After him came another emperor, Haile Selassie. Uh, my goddaughter calls him the Kardashian. Uh, or, <laughs> Emperor. Um, he went on this whirlwind tour of Europe at one stage. I think he liked to dress himself up nicely. Um, he was very flashy. Um, I think he was fated in Europe. Um, oh, we were speaking about Tedros uh, before. Um, Tedros had two crowns. You know, when I said Magdala was uh, sacked, destroyed, a lot of loot was taken back to England and back to Europe in general. Um, priceless things, um, um, uh, manu priceless manuscripts, you know. Uh, now, um, when that was all taken back to Europe, two crowns somehow ended up somewhere in Europe. I think it was more in the center of Europe somewhere, maybe over to the east into Eastern Europe. Europe, um, Two of Tedros's crowns ended up there. Now, Kardashian went on this amazing whirlwind tour of Europe and, um, you know, he was handing out lions as gifts uh, for zoos around Europe and he was getting gifts given back to him in return. And at one stage, uh, I think he was given... Tedros's, two of Tedros's crowns. Uh, now that's interesting to me. Uh, so that, you know, uh, we're talking of probably close to 80 years in between Tedros being knocked off and Haley Selassie doing his Kardashian tour of Europe, like a celebrity, you know, something like Ava Peron. Uh, my daughter is obsessed with Evita at the moment, so I'm getting a, this Ava Perron story all the time. 
um, and she did a you know a rainbow tour of Europe. So I think uh, Haley Selassie did a rainbow tour of um, of Europe and got Tedros's crowns back, which is very nice. Uh, and um, look, I could waffle on all night. I'm, I'm back at my place, parked outside. Um, I've got so many things to talk about besides all of this, you know. Uh, Haley Selassie, he was overthrown pretty much uh, in the same way as, you know, Tsar Nicholas was overthrown by the Bolsheviks over in Russia, 1917, was it? Russian Revolution, anyway. And, um, and you know, everyone killed. Um, now, I think Haley Selassie was overthrown in a very similar way. By communists again, um, the communists, the Derg, um, came into power. Um, oh, seems to go very well every time the communists get in, and eventually the Derg themselves were overthrown by. Now, I think Tigrayan people were prominent. Um, in the overthrow, I think that were that was one of their brave moments. I'm sure all the groups in Ethiopia have had their glorious and brave moments. I'm sure Amharans have had theirs. Well, Tedros was an Amharan, um, so he had a glorious moment. Menelik was Amharan, um, and he did some glorious things too, or terrible things if you don't like him. Uh, Johannes was a Tigrayan and. He had some amazing moments too, won a couple of wonderful battles. Um, now, Haley Selassie uh, got knocked off, uh, and very similar to Tsar Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas, Tsar, that comes from the word Caesar. Tsar uh, um, Nicholas, oh, we don't want to say where he was buried, but it was somewhere where he was able to be disrespected. And I think the same sort of thing happened to Haley Selassie. Communists are good at that sort of stuff. Um, now the Derg, I don't think it's um, controversial to say that they committed atrocities. Uh, you know, not that a lot of other groups don't commit atrocities either, but they were eventually overthrown by uh, an alliance of some sort. It's a TPLF, is that right? Um, a group uh, which I th um, which I think Tigrayans were prominent in, and that brought to power. You know, then that was the end of thousands of years of emperors, uh, because they. Oh no, no, sorry. When the Derg knocked off Selassie, that was the end of the emperors after thousands of years. Now, um, after the Derg, you know, then I suppose you had a communist state. Okay, so that's kind of a nation state. Uh, and then after that came what I think was a Tigray-led government. And there was a prime minister, you know, we're talking prime ministers now, constitutions for sure. Um, it starts to look very Western. Uh, and by this stage, start, uh, Ethiopia is starting to do a few other things that other Western countries are doing. I think we're talking 19... 
it was 1970s by then, I think. Um, and uh, Ethiopia have given up slavery by now, you know. I think Ethiopians were still engaged in slavery up until the 1950s, was it? 1930s? 1950s, still a bit of slavery going on. Um, so, you know, the, uh, and maybe that, maybe in the shadows of World War II, universal human rights and all this sort of stuff sweeping the world, the UN coming into being, there would, if anyone was doing any slavery still, um, they would have felt a lot of pressure to stop that. Uh, I, I don't think slavery in Ethiopia was state-sanctioned by the end, but it was still going on. I, I know a succession of emperors for a start, Tedros, Johannes, etc., tried to stamp out slavery as part of their modernization program, uh, but um, were unsuccessful. It's very hard to stamp it out uh, when the economy depends on it and people like it so much. Uh, but I think it was, I think slavery was finally wiped off the map in Ethiopia uh, in, well, let's say the 1950s, you know, 19, late 1940s, you know, when it really became a bad thing to have slaves. You know, at the time that the UN Convention on Human Rights was coming into play, everyone was shocked coming out of, you know, the modern world was coming into, into focus by then. Um, so, um, the Derg came in, atrocities, um, then Ethiopia, I'm sure, starts to look like a very regular country, um, as we would recognise that anyway, uh, in the Western sense, and, um, now a prominent Prime Minister that I know of is Melish, because, now I do hang with Tigrayan people more than from any other group, so you know, they all say he's wonderful, uh, wise. I do know that, uh, look, from everything I've seen, he was, you know, um, a, a very good and strong prime minister. Um, and just recently, I think, uh, and I think there was a, I think um, essentially. Tigrayan people, at least, were happy with the way uh, the leanings of the prime ministers and the people in power uh, right up to recently. And just recently, for reasons I don't understand, the uh, a prime minister that the Tigrayan people, at least, were very happy with suddenly resigned. Um, look, some bad things had been happening. The Oromo people... Uh, just a few years ago, whilst I was discussing Ethiopia, learning about Ethiopia from my goddaughter, the Oromo people were really starting to show some um, that they were un unhappy with the government. They felt oppressed. And so they seemed to think, the Oromo people, they seemed to think that the government, that they were marginalised, that they were being treated like second-class second citizens. Uh, and uh, at which Olympics was it? Uh, recent Olympics, one of the marathon runner, uh, a marathon runner from Ethiopia, you know, Ethiopians, they always win marathons. If they're not winning them, the Kenyans are. Uh, 
made a sign as he crossed the finish line uh, of, you know, he crossed his arms above his head, you know, denouncing, you know, standing up for his people, for his people, which was his tribe um, in Ethiopia, um, which, uh, and, uh, there, yeah, so, look, you probably have to work all that out yourself. Uh, I don't want to get into that because I might end up getting tribal and I'm not tribal, you know. So, that guy, I've forgotten his name, but the runner, um, absolute hero, looked at from one perspective and a troublemaker looked at from another perspective. Uh, is he one or is the other? Well, I say he's both, you know, depending on who you speak to. Uh, but one way or another, um, that uprising uh, might have had something to do with, uh, because the government was losing control of, you know, mobs rioting, and uh, down in Oromo especially, Oromo land, Oromo territory, and um, for one reason or another, the president that I think the Tigrayan people were happy with uh, suddenly resigned and was replaced by this guy, Dr. Abby, who seems to be uh, something of a born-again Christian, an evangelist Christian, or a, a devout Christian at least. Um, I could be wrong about that, actually. I'm not sure. Uh, but he seems, you know, sort of... Well, to me, he seems like he's got... Um, good values, uh, but I don't think he's popular with the Tigrayan people. You know, I think there's been a power shift away from Tigray and towards Amhara, uh, and I do hear a lot of Tigrayan people uh, saying that they would like to secede, you know. From an outsider's perspective, that sounds a little bit... Like, because when the Tigrayan people, you know, had the, their guy in. Um, all the talk I heard was one of unity, you know. Come on, everybody, we should be unified, unified, unified. And then their guy gets kicked out and the other, you know, the Amharans guy get in, gets in, and they say, secession, 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 you know. Um, <laughs> well, look, you get the idea. Uh, now, that was extremely rambling. Um, I don't apologise for that. I just felt like having a chat. Um, there's more to it all. We will fill in the blanks as we go along. As you can see, um, a little bit of information is dangerous. I know just enough to be dangerous, and I don't know enough to be sensible. Um, Good night, and that is the end of the third episode in this series. Signing off, that's my zen, sporty zen uh, overview, you know, a second introduction, if you like, to the history of Ethiopia. See if you can make sense of all of that.